With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, yes! Welcome to Manchester United. Anthony Martial. Wonderful run from to Sheringham, and Solskjaer has won it! Manchester United have reached the promised land! Rashford has got the dream goal! Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 17 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Classic Football Shirts. I'm Harry Robertson, and as always, I'm graced with the presence of Jack Tate as we discuss an unspectacular draw with champions-elect Leicester City, the usual news, youth, loan, roundups, as well as previewing our weekend game against Norwich City. Jack, a blistering first half, actually. Uh, not the humding and celebrations most were expecting on Sunday, though. No, unfortunately not. I actually thought we played really, really well in the first half. First 15, 20 minutes were great. We had a great start. We were playing really, really well. Leicester could barely get out their own half. And then really from their first attack, they won that free kick and it kind of just killed all the momentum that we had. I was surprised, actually, there was no more goals in the game after that, but... Hey, at least we can say that Leicester didn't quite win the league at Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big relief <laughs> to go down in history books of having had Leicester win the league on your own title would have been terrible. We'll Especially with um, Danny Drinkwater, Danny Simpson and Jeffrey Schluff in their team, all who have yeah. either had a trial or played for United before. Yeah, we'll move on to Marcus Rojo's strange shambles of a set-piece defending in a moment, but... As you say, overall, the first 15 minutes until they scored, 16 minutes then, um, really exciting to watch United, quick passing. We were getting it out wide really quickly as well, which was nice to see because mm. so often this season we've just completely ignored our wingers. And, I mean, you look at the goal, Martial's goal very early on, uh, very funny to see the Leicester fans suddenly sort of subside into silence. Yeah. Um, Antonio Valencia, who would have thought? <laughs> he cuts back yeah. and a, a beautiful cross with the outside of his boot. Yeah, it was. He, him and Lingard played really well the whole game, actually, down that right flank. They caused Leicester a lot of trouble, especially in that first 15, 20 minutes, as we were saying. they were. It was where most of our attacks were coming in. They like said, I think, I think the biggest difference was that 
we, we weren't really playing any kind of different style. You know, we were just getting everything done so much quicker. It's so laboured at times when we try and get the ball out wide and getting it out there so much quicker really, really helps. And I think Carrick and Rooney did, did really well as well to kind of ring fence the Leicester box. That Leicester, even when they tried to clear it, just had no, no escape route. I mean, them not having Jamie Vardy to just play balls over the top to helps as well. But no, it was, it was a really good opening spell. And I think if, Kasper Schmeichel hadn't have made that brilliant save from Jesse Lingard. We could be talking about a, a great win against Champions Elect. Yeah, I know. At, at the very start, after Martial goal, you thought, we've we've actually started quite well here. I didn't want to jinx it, so I, I said nothing. But um, after that Lingard save, you thought, well, we're really going for this. Like For once, we've come out of the blocks really, really go for it. I think Rooney in midfield helps with that. Getting out of wide quickly instantly looks to the flanks. It was good. I think what we've been looking for the whole season, pretty much, I thought we, we kept the ball well, which is kind of what Van Gaal wants. But at the same time, it was the passing, the movement was quick enough so that we, we managed to retain that balance of pleasing Van Gaal and his possession-based football, but also pleasing the fans and making it entertaining. It was, it was really good to watch. It was just a shame that we couldn't really carry it through until or for the whole game because it really sort of died down in the second half. Yeah, it seems to me like we've had a few of these performances this season where suddenly everyone sees why Van Gaal's football might work although the majority have not been so you look back at that uh, 3-0 win against Stoke in February I think it was where everything just seemed to come together and as soon as we got the first half goal then it it all just clicked because the the confidence just shot up and I think that's what we saw on Sunday but Wes Morgan's goal just brought us back down and, and stopped us right in our momentum because I think if they hadn't scored then which as you say was basically their first attack if they hadn't scored then I think we could have seen a, a 3-1 win for United yeah no I, I agree it was a really tough time to lose a goal especially was it two minutes or so after Michael saved from Lingard which I thought was flying into the bottom corner and it was just that a massive momentum swing in the game I mean the, the one thing I will say is that I think we did well actually to kind of maintain our dominance after that goal because I was worried that having conceded we might let Leicester back into the game and let them almost run away with it but luckily that didn't happen. It was a good performance but I think one that we we still could have improved on especially in the second half. Yeah, let's move on to that goal that did bring us back down. Marcus Rojo, very questionable uh, <laughs> if we're being kind to him. The ball comes in and Rojo is simply out-muscled by Wes Morgan and he, he, it angers you quite a lot that they then score from that and fair play to Wes Morgan he guided his header quite well the header didn't really have a chance because of that but the worst bit was that then Rojo was kept on Wes Morgan yeah and he did exactly the same thing 10 minutes later another 10 minutes later and it it probably happened five or six times during that two halves and really if it wasn't Wes Morgan perhaps if it was a striker doing that to Rojo you'd expect them to be scoring another two or three it was awful defending, honestly. The one that Wes Morgan actually scored from, it angered me. Rojo, if you watch, he never gets fully goal side of Wes Morgan. As the ball comes in, I don't know, I don't know if he's trying to hold a high line or whatever, but as soon as the ball comes in, he's always then having to struggle to get goal side of him. And eventually he does, but then he just gets out muscled and it's really, really poor defending. And like you said, I was, I was surprised that he was on Wes Morgan in the first place, really. Because Wes Morgan's proved this season that he's a big threat from the set piece. I think he scored an important goal a few weeks ago, actually. Um, and it's just, it, it really surprised me that even after the goal, he wasn't taking off him. Uh, like you said, if it, 
was another day we could have been looking at a Wes Morgan hat trick. Yeah, and uh, you'd think that someone like Chris Morling, who's he's taller, he's more physical than Rojo, who's a little South American bloke. I guess you can see why Smalling wasn't on it. Newcastle game, the three all when Smalling gets punished for his grapple hook in the box, it does result in a penalty because he does it quite often. And that was a time when Smalling's incredible form was beginning to be questioned as form yeah. rather than uh, a permanent fixture. But it, it has returned. So you'd probably expect Chris Smalling to be on there. I guess the one downside to having Daly Blind at centre-back is that we have to put Rojo on one of their most physical people because in this team he's probably one of the most physical people in our squad which is incredible when you think of it, it in terms of physicality you look at Valencia Smalling definitely not blind Rooney and Fellaini and that's about it on Rojo why does he persistently get started over Borsic Jackson Donald Love Guillermo Varela uh, Matteo Dami and even because you can put Dami in that left back and keep Valencia yeah. at right back who I thought did really well even aside from the goal defensively too Valencia did well I, I honestly I'm baffled as to how Rojo has managed to keep his place in the team for the last few weeks. Because I don't think, really think there's been any game that I've, I've watched him and thought, this is what we need at left-back. It's just It seems to just be too many mistakes. Going forward, he can be quite rash in his decision-making. Quite often when he has a chance to, to get across it, and it he, he makes the wrong decision. He either tries to hit it hard and low and he should clip it into the box or he does, the, does it the other way around. It's, it's really just not what we're looking for at this standard in our left-back. And they say I would much rather see Borthwick Jackson given a chance there, um, or even Fosu Mensa playing at centre back and move Daly Blind out to left back, um, or, or Darmian, as you said, playing left back because Valencia at the moment is keeping Darmian out the, out the team at right back. No, I am surprised that he's still playing, and to be honest with you, I'm, I hope that something is changed and soon. It's not one of those players like Herrera where he hasn't had enough chances to prove himself because somehow he is getting these, yeah. these chances every single week, and in my memory, there isn't even a single one which I think he's taken. Every performance has had its questionable moments. Yeah, and, and I, th- I think that's the thing. Like Normally, in, players are in bad form. You can maybe look at one or two games that you could say, OK, well, the manager at least can look to those and think that he, we know what he is capable of. But this season, I don't really think there's been any games, especially not recently, that you can point to and say, that's why he's getting starts all the time, because it just hasn't happened. Moving on to some refereeing decisions. You're a referee. I'm not. Initial decisions are uh, very much different to what I, I thought on the replays. Firstly, let's um, Jesse Lingard and Danny Simpson. What do you think of that one? At first, it looked like a clear red and a definite, a definite foul, a definite red card. But looking back on the replays, perhaps Michael Oliver got it right. Yeah, I, th- I think he did get that one right. I don't think that was a foul. Um, Lingard was was pulling Danny Simpson as much as Danny Simpson was pulling Lingard, and I think. As soon as Lingard realised he wasn't going to get to the ball, he kind of went down and tried to buy a foul. Um, so no, I think that was the right decision. If Lingard was trying to buy the foul, he probably more intelligent would have been to go across Simpson and then bring about that clip, which yeah. then would have been the foul and the red card. The second big one, the Real Mahrez penalty shout. This is one where I, again, agree with Michael Oliver. Mahrez definitely goes for it, doesn't he? He drives in towards Rojo's body rather than... You've seen them given definitely, but You'd have to say Mahrez is looking for that and Rojo can't really be blamed for that a huge amount. Every time I watch this, my opinion changes because when I look at it straight on, I think, oh, it's not a penalty. You know, Rojo can't get out of the way. Mahrez is just running to him. Like I said, he's looking for the penalty. But if you look at the angle from the touchline, you can see that Rojo flicks his, um, 
flicks his foot up and does catch Mares on the shin. So I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a stone wall penalty. Like it, it's not an absolute howler from Michael Oliver. I think whichever way you want to give it, you can get away with justifying it. It was a tough decision. Uh, and just luckily for us, it wasn't given. And then we had um, the Memphis penalty shout. Danny Drinkwater got his second yellow card back at Old Trafford, sent off, deservedly so. The only question really was, was it in the box? And looking back at the replays, everyone says it was. It, it looks pretty... It looked, in fact, it looks very, very clear to me. Yeah, it was in the box. It was on the line. The line belongs to the goalkeeper, so it should have been a penalty, and it was the right decision to send him off. I mean, it, it's tough. As like, like you said, I'm a referee, and it's tough when it's when people are moving at that speed. It's tough to to properly judge exactly where they are. But no, it should have, it should have been a penalty, and can count ourselves a bit unlucky with that one. Yeah, um, Lou Van Hal after the game says he's been managing for 20 or 30 years uh, you can probably tell by what he looks like and said we need video assistance for referees you as a referee what do you think of that it is tough because in principle I agree with it I want video assistance because it does just clear up some decisions so easily the problem becomes how does it properly get used because let's let's say for instance for offside decisions if someone's given offside and then it's found that they're actually not and they were about to go through one-on-one with the goalkeeper you can't then recreate that situation when the game is restarted. You'd have to start off with a drop ball. So then that the team loses that advantage anyway. So it, it's tough. It, w- it would be really, really tough to try and work out a system that impacted both teams fairly. But when you see, the, see ones like that yesterday that could have been cleared up in a matter of seconds, it makes it the argument for it all the more compelling. Yeah, there's clearly a line which has to be drawn on the video, but it's just where you draw that line. A few more contentious decisions. Marwan Fellaini and Robert Hoof, which drew perhaps Louis van Gaal's strangest of a, <laughs> of a very large collection of strange post-match interviews, which we'll play to you now. When I grab you, your hair now, you react also. Possibly. Oh, yeah. uh, possibly I, I do know for sure. Because uh, it's not in the books that uh, somebody has to grab with the hair and uh, only in, in uh, sex masochism. Then it is allowed. A very odd post-match interview in the tunnel from Louis van Gaal to match of the day. Was he right? (laughs) (laughs) Fellaini will get banned. It's violent conduct. He'll get a retrospective three-match ban. In the same way that Deli Alley did, and and that's right. Interestingly enough, I was watching um, Sky Sports News this morning, and there was actually an incident in, um, I think it was Morecambe against Wickham a few weeks ago, where two Morecambe players pulled the um, Wickham players' hair and they both got retrospective three-match bans. So going on that precedent that the FA have set, I'd be surprised if Robert Hoof wasn't given the same three-match ban. I can understand Fellaini's frustration, but there's no there's no way you can ever react like that in football. The elbow isn't what I think should be banned for, because the hair's pulled and Fellaini is sort of an instinct. He should know better, but it's uh, like, just get off me, like kind of elbow, like just yanking away yourself. The little hand out after attempting to grab his face is what, I think is sets uh, the possibility of a ban because it shows that intent rather because the elbow to me seems like more instinct that you could say the FA might sort of give some leeway with. I think it's the handout after which shows his constant elbowing and and hands in the face kind of thing that we see with Fellaini. And for me, he, he should get banned for that rather than than the elbow itself, even though that plays a part in it. Uh, and yeah, probably another th- three match ban like Deli Ali. And and the final decision, Rooney. This is really tough. Again, every time I watch it, I think something different. The problem is, again, if he was going to stop the game for that, because he would have to stop the game, can't play an advantage, and then go back and send someone off. 
he was going to stop the game from it, and then Ujoa, sort of as Michael Oliver blows the whistle, puts the ball in the back of the net, all hell would break loose. Because it's like, well, why is he stopping the game? You're giving advice to United, and you know, you're meant to be helping Leicester if there's a foul on a Leicester player. But then as it ended up happening, he doesn't stop the game, and then Rooney doesn't get a yellow card for it, and he's not sent off. And then it's like, well, why didn't you stop the game and then send Rooney off? It's just, it's totally dependent on what panned out. I think in the end, I think he probably did the right thing. I mean, the first time I watched it, I'm not going to lie, I thought it was a dive, but I'm convinced it's not now. Um, it was a really tough one, I think, for Michael Oliver. And I think either way he went about it, he, he could have got away with it. But to be fair, I thought Rooney was lucky to be on the pitch anyway. He already made that, I can't remember who, I think it was on a Joa in the first half, was it? Where he came in and clattered him at, like knee height. Yeah, that was, um, a, that was a great challenge. <laughs> yeah, and I was surprised he escaped to book him for that. And then he committed another three two, or two or three fouls after that as well. I saw someone questioning this on Twitter during the game as to why referees put up with Rooney's persistent arguing, his constant fouling, which he does do. He's a the, the very cliched expression of a proper English footballer where he'll be charging in and the the retrospective thing where he sees his teammate get fouled and he absolutely clatters whoever fouled him yeah. and it's great for the fans but it, it can result in a red card I think the reason he's respected so much by the referees is because at the end of the game everything that he said just is wiped out I saw him in his post-match interview he said no I think it's a difficult job for the referee um, in my opinion Michael Oliver is a fantastic referee and it's tough um, you know, it's a tough job for them. So we, us as a team, we respect the referees and respect the decisions. So I think that's perhaps why referees don't get annoyed at him when they when he sort of complains to them. Whereas when Diego Costa shouts in their face, they get slightly more annoyed. Anything final on the Leicester game? Uh, Juan Mata made his 100th United appearance in all competitions, which is more than any outfield player at the club since his debut. Seems odd given how many horrendous performances he's had. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Any final thoughts? Not particularly. I think the only one for me is that I was slightly disappointed with Anthony Martial in the end, other than, other than his goal. I thought he had a, a rare, poor game. Um, I thought he gave the ball away quite cheaply. But at the end of the day, he did, he did get his name on the score sheet, so we can't be too harsh on him for that. Yeah, and it was a good finish to keep it down rather than just absolutely belt it, which yeah. could have seen it rise over the crossbar rapidly. In the news this week, after the Leicester game, Louis van Gaal pulled a Sky Sports reporter's hair when asked about Marouane Fellaini's elbow. You've already heard his reaction when he spoke to the BBC. <laughs> um, prior to the game, van Gaal insisted that he will be at United next season despite only wanting a two-year deal when he first joined the club, revealing that United asked him to sign a three-year contract. The Dutchman was surprisingly right when he asked if top four was good enough. He said fourth would only be OK although it does look very unlikely now. In more managerial news, Juan Mata refused to comment on the speculation linking Jose Mourinho to the club. He had a quiet game on Sunday, but Michael Carrick says he's sure that Marcus Rashford will be a success at United for an awful long time. Jack will have more on this later in his loan roundup, but Victor Valdez has returned from his loan move at Standard Liège, terminated early. Ashley Young has committed himself to Louis van Gaal and is desperate to return to the starting level before the FA Cup final so he can prove himself. As always, Young talking to the press only resulted in a positive reaction. He's definitely not our best player or anything like that, but he, he really understands what we're all about. Juan Mata, very rare, this admitted that he lives in a bubble with obscene wages. Stark statement, very rare from a footballer. Not to plug my own website, but there's an excellent writer on Manchester United, Vavil, on this matter. If you're on ACAST, the link is on the screen now. If not, I'll tweet it on our Twitter. Timothy Fosamenta has been praised by Charlie Nicholas 
who was astonished by the young Netherlands star. He said he could be a superstar. Fosumens himself is thankful for the communication from his defensive partners. Daley Blind and Chris Smalling have helped him settle in. Uh, Street and Collie Hurst will be renamed Nobby Styles Drive after the great United and England player 50 years after he lifted the World Cup with England. In FA Cup final news, Mark Clattenburg will be the referee on May the 21st, while United will have to play in white as Palace play in red and blue. The club have also announced free travel for supporters in another very good move from them. In transfer news, Colombian legend Carlos Valderrama, with even better hair than Marin Fellaini, revealed Zinedine Zidane dislike of James Rodriguez at Real Madrid. I love Colombia football and James, so I'd love him to come, but if he did... You'd expect it to be a season like Meza Ozil's first at Arsenal, where it takes time to settle in to strengthen up and get used to the Premier League. But after that, could be a very good move. Marin Fellaini's agent has opened the possibility of a summer move to AS Roma. He tried to palm off his trip to the Stadio Olimpico Roma Stadium as just a holiday, but said that although there's no offer from Roma, it could definitely be considered a good possibility and club for Fellaini to join. A great account on Twitter, at Scouts Attending, have revealed a few things this week. United Scouts were at Sporting 3-1 victory against FC Porto. They were also at Benfica's 1-0 win on Friday, the 22nd consecutive time they have watched Renato Sanchez. You can find out about Renato Sanchez in our interview with Jan Hagen at Portugal on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. That link is in the description and on Acast right now. Uh, the Independent reported that United are looking at Real Madrid's young talent Pedro Ruiz. Duncan Castles for the Sunday Times reported that United are interested in Luis Campos, currently at Monaco and previously technical director under Jose Mourinho. They were present at a game where Campos was scouting before scouting a player he's also looking at for Monaco. United watched PSG beat Lille 2-1 in the French League Cup final with Sofiane Buffal, the reported target, possibly PSG's Marquinhos 2 centre-back. United also watched Ghent 1 and Delect 1 on Thursday for 18-year-old Yuri Thiels-Mons and 21-year-old Leander Dondonka. In youth news, Tahis Chong is confirmed he'll be joining Manchester United this summer, although neither club United nor Feyenoord have said anything yet. Chong told the press it was his intention to stay at Feyenoord, but no plan was made for me there. They came up with a plan only when he wanted to leave, and that was too late. He explained his decisions to join United here and at Arsenal. Young players get their chance earlier than at Chelsea or Manchester City. United gave me a better feeling. You can feel it immediately when you walk in a club. Another young player joining Ireland's under-16 captain Leo Connors. We told you last week he's spoken about his move to United and he'll join on June 27th. He said, It wasn't a very difficult decision to make. I just knew that there was no point in me thinking about signing for any other club. It's a place with the best coaches and the best facilities, so in that way, it was easy. He also called John O'Shea one of the best Irish footballers in the past decade for both club and country, which I appreciated. He clearly has a good taste in footballers. Another young player linked is Matthew Knox and his manager that he has a lot of clubs interested but would like to hold on to him for a few more years and sell him for more after more development. The under-18s confirmed their place as fourth place in Tier 3 of the Barclays under-18 Premier League playoff stages. It's been a tough season for the under-18 sides, many consecutive losses stretching into double digits even. Long-serving manager Paul McGuinness resigned knowing he'd be sacked and Tommy Martin has been in control ever since. Some great wins in the playoffs including a 7-1 thrashing of Newcastle. Indy Boonin off the back of a Belgium under-17 call-up scored the only goal of the game and saw United finish fourth in a season to forget for their usually prestigious under-18 side. Jack, how have our loan players been doing this week? Obviously, Valdez has had his terminated. Yeah, Valdez's loan was terminated by a standard age, actually, so they probably obviously weren't happy with what he had done or they just thought he was surplus to requirements. Dean Henderson has also returned to Manchester United, although in much better fashion than Valdez. He had a great loan spell, actually. Four clean sheets in nine games, I believe. He had a man-of-the-match performance on Saturday in his last game. Um, Stockport drew 0-0. 
by all accounts, he plays really, really well during his loan spell. Um, the Stockport fans seem to be really, really happy with him, giving him a lot of praise, um, a lot of well wishes on Twitter. So yeah, it's been a good loan spell for him. He'll now return to the club. He'll probably play in the final under 21s game of the season. He looks like he could be a good talent. In a bit more disappointing news, um, Nick Powell, Kieran O'Hara and Tyler Blackett all didn't feature at the weekend. Nick Powell is still out injured. Um, Tyler Blackett continues to be frozen out. And Kieran O'Hara was an unused sub. He's more from the reserve goalkeeper. They drew 1-1. James Wilson at Brighton, they play today in a few hours actually from when we're recording this. Um, I'm hoping Brighton go up. So hopefully Wilson can get on the score sheet. Um, and then good news for Ashley Fletcher. Um, he scored two goals, played the whole 90 minutes. Uh, Barnsley drew 2-2. He continues to impress in his own spell at Barnsley. We'll see what happens to him next season. Yeah, I think um, Valdez's was because Stade at Liège basically given up on their season and have decided to play their youngsters. But I mean, clearly he wasn't that impressive. Anyway, this weekend we've got Norwich City, a game that you'd assume we'd win. But going on the past seven months that we've been watching United, I guess you'd assume that we'd lose. Some great wins over big teams and some terrible losses, including against Norwich, um, against small teams. Initial predictions for this? Well, it could be tough because this is not the kind of game you want at the end of the season, a team fighting relegation. You want teams that have nothing to play for. I'm going to go with a win. Hopefully, we can get some payback on them or the result earlier in the season. But yeah, no, I, th- I think we will still come out with a win um, and keep our top four hope kind of alive. One thing I was I, I did realise yesterday, though, was that if Man City lose against Arsenal, our game against West Ham effectively becomes a fourth-place player. And it's a huge game. It's the last game at Upton Park. Could decide fourth and fifth place as well as sixth place. I mean, whoever wins is going into the last game of the season. It has a huge chance to make that top four. Two weeks ago, you saw the City-Arsenal game and you thought, we need Arsenal to lose that. They're more likely to slip up here. But City are focusing on their Champions League run. Hopefully, they now lose to Real Madrid and still uh, recovering from that, lose to Arsenal and we can catch up. I guess it only makes you more frustrated that we didn't beat Leicester in the end. But I guess we have to see it as a positive that they got absolutely spanked by Southampton. Although Kelechi Inacho scoring another two goals, another incredible talent coming out of Manchester alongside Rashford and Martial up front. I guess in five years we might see those three competing for the golden boot, which would be incredible. I think we'll beat Norwich. Uh, as you say, they are fighting relegation, but out of the, the three teams vying for that safe spot, they definitely look the weakest with the least fight for because they're not a traditional Premier League side, whereas Newcastle and Sunderland are, are very much so. And have we got any questions this week? Yeah, we have a few questions this week, actually. Uh, the first one that we'll do comes in from at JBHAFC. Good luck to Brighton this afternoon, James. I hope you go up. Um, do you like Martial at this left wing position, or do you feel he would, he would be more effective as a striker? We've mentioned this a few times, actually. I think at the moment he's more effective on the left, cutting inside, drawing the opposition's right back out. It really creates a huge amount of space. There definitely needs to be a decision over where his career is going because I think he has to decide next season whether he wants to be a player who can play in two positions or he really just wants to be the main striker at Manchester United. He's very effective from the left. He's less affected up front, but I think in the future he'll probably be, as a striker, will probably be his best position. But at the moment, playing him on the left is definitely the right decision because it brings so much space in and he can still get inside the box in our current system. I agree. I think for now, Martial is more effective on the left. I mean, especially with Marcus Rashford in, in the form that he's in as well, I think. Why, why would you change it? Like you said, a decision needs to be made either next season or the season after as to where Martial's long-term future is going to be because we can't keep shunting him around position to position because it's just going to 
support his growth. I see him in the in the long term becoming a central striker, but but right now I prefer him in the left wing position much more than I do at striker. Okay, so next question comes in from at SGP Smith, who asks, how much of a challenge do you think Palace pose in the cup final? Not the biggest one, but I would have rather had Watford because the the whole thing surrounding Palace, the fans are more daunting, should we say, than Watford fans. No disrespect to them. No, some nice Watford fans, but they're they're more daunting, especially at FA Cup final when you've got 30,000. Yes, out of 90,000, we only have a third each. When you've got 30,000 Palace fans coming against United fans, that's more of a... It'll provide a better FA Cup final, I think. These two teams, then United, Watford would have done. In the Cup, they've carried that first half of the season form into the Cup, and it's been a bright spot in a very bad second half of the season. So I think they're definitely more daunting than Watford. By all accounts, we should win, and we should win comfortably, but they will pose a threat. Yeah, I'd agree with pretty much everything you said there. I would have preferred Watford. I just think as well that the style that Watford play suits us a little bit more than, than what Palace play. Um, Palace's pace on the counter-attack will definitely be a factor in this game. I think, obviously, you know, with no disrespect to Palace, it's not the same as if we were playing someone like City or, or Spurs or, or even Leicester um, in the cup final. But I think no matter who you, no matter who you're playing, it's an FA Cup final. It's going to be a tough game regardless. Um, and so, although yeah, the form guide says that that we're going to win comfortably, I don't think it's, it's ever going to be like that. I'm just hoping that we, that we can get off to a good start, settle the nerves, hopefully get that mystical early goal that we seem to have struggled with all season. Um, I think if we can do that, then then it could be a comfortable afternoon. But I think the longer it goes with no goals, the harder it will become for Man United. And we got a final few questions, don't we? Yeah, we have two more. So the first is from at Rojanaldo. He says, do you think Lingard has done enough to deserve his place in the team week in, week out? He doesn't get recognised for the amount he does. Creates a huge amount of space. His movement is really, really excellent. And if his finishing would be better, then yes, definitely. He scored quite a few since coming through. But people remember the terrible misses. And there have been a lot of them. And I think what people don't realise is the fact that he's managed to score quite a few and have those terrible misses is because the spaces he gets into and the positions he gets into is more frequent and better than probably most players in our team. And he creates a huge amount of space. He's doing the job that most other players in our squad wouldn't do, where they create space, don't receive the ball despite creating that space. They draw the midfield out, draw the defenders out, and other people can exploit on it, especially Anthony Martial coming in from that left flank. Um, Lingard pulls players out and... Martial can dive into that space and and drive forward and shoot and score, as we've seen quite a few times. I think with Memphis sitting on the bench, he should get more starts over Lingard sometimes, but I think Lingard is unrecognised for the amount he does for the team. And I can definitely see why Van Gaal persists with him in there, because he does do a lot for us that people don't see. Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for Lingard, actually, because he's attacked a lot of the time by fans because he's not the best technically, but he does a lot of good work for our team. He's a, such a willing runner. He creates a lot of space down the right flank. And to kind of answer the question directly, I think he has done enough to earn his place in the team week in, week out for this season. Um, but I stress uh, only for this season. I think right midfield needs to be one of our main, one of, if not our main priority going into the next transfer window. It's a position that we've never really, well, in the last sort of four or five years, we've never really filled it properly 
I don't like Juan Mata playing in that position. And although Lingard, I like Lingard, he's put in some really good performances and he has improved a lot since he first came into the team, which is nice to see. But I don't think that he he should be our starting right midfielder next season. So on to the final question, which really is just on the lips of every United fan. Um, So for next season, Van Gaal in or Van Gaal out? For next season, out. We've just released a managerial special. So if you want 37 minutes of basically this it's in the link in the description or on ACAST right now it's a very tough question because I don't want Mourinho in at all and I do a lot of things to keep Mourinho out would I keep Van Gaal to keep Mourinho out at times I think yes at times in this run I, I think yes but take me back to December losing to Stoke Norwich Bournemouth Wolfsburg bring on Nick Powell for Bastian Schweinsteiger to change the game against Wolfsburg I'd probably rather have Mourinho than Van Gaal. But yeah, most other managers, I'd I'd get Van Gaal out in the summer. Hopefully he resigns if we win the FA Cup and he strolls away into retirement in the sunset. And we get a nice new manager and create a 25-year dynasty. But <laughs> let's be honest, we might not win the FA Cup. Um, Van Gaal probably won't resign. He'll probably stay. We'll probably get Mourinho in, so it could be terrible for me. The thing with Van Gaal is I think he knows he's going because... Over the last two or three months, everything he's done has been trying to make his time at United seem much better than it is. Um, so bringing through the young players, persisting with them, talking about them all the time, praising them, uh, relating back to them all the time, really going for the cup more than he's gone for the league. And even like comments like the Arsenal game when he d- did the dive, he's expressed himself much more. And I think he's seen a situation where he wins the FA Cup and leaves having brought through these young players and in five years time perhaps people will look back at Louis van Gaal's era at United in a kinder way than they would now so I think he might be resigned to the fact that he is either resigning or he's getting sacked at the end of the season. I'd like to see win the FA Cup hopefully get us into the top four and then resign and let someone else come in and kind of turn the situation around. The last few weeks have been better, by all accounts. And he does seem to have related himself a bit more, not just to the players, but I think to the fans as well. But there's been too much disappointment in the last two years, I think, for him to to really carry on. Um, And I just hope that, admittedly, has been a relatively strong end to the season so far. I hope that doesn't blind the board to what has gone on before. And like you said, I don't particularly want Mourinho either. But when I I sit down and think about it, I, I think I would rather... Mourinho than, than keep Van Gaal for another season just because it would at least be some sort of change and I do think that we would be better off at this point next season if Van Gaal had left so I hope that we finish the season well and that Van Gaal then takes it upon himself and resigns That's all we have time for today, thank you very much for listening to Series 1 Episode 17 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast sponsored by Classic Football Shirt We're approaching the end of the season now, which means we're also approaching exams for both of us. So if podcast releases are a little more irregular than usual, please forgive us. We'll try to keep it up and we really appreciate your support. Jack, where can we find you on Twitter? At UTD Takes T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobertson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod P-O-D. After that sensational game at Wembley, this was slightly more unspectacular and unsatisfactory, but the history books won't say that Leicester City, yes, Leicester City, won the league at Old Trafford, so I guess we can be thankful for that. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.